From the time we are born, we are placed in a bubble. It may be a result of where we are born, the people we are around, or the information we are given. Our mission here on the Sports is a Job podcast is to pop the bubble and help everyone realize they control their own path. We will interview people working in sports to share their story and provide our take on sport industry topics. Hosted by Colby Castillo and Olivia Poutine. Welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. My name is Colby Costello, and I am one half of the podcast and as always joined by the other half here. Hey, everyone. This is Olivia. And we bring to you a different perspective in, within the sports industry. And if I'm correct, we haven't had a guest like our guest today. So let me just stop doing the talking and give the platform to Justin Gard. Um, if you could please introduce yourself and let everybody know what it is you currently do. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. My name is Justin Gard. I work principally for KFAN Radio on the Afternoon Drive Show with Dan Barrero. I'm the producer and the sidekick. I have my own show on Sundays called The Cake Show that runs from 11 to 1. And then um, I've got about 50 million other jobs that I'm sure we'll get into. But one of them is <laughs> sideline reporter for the Gopher Radio Network, working with the football team. I think this upcoming fall, should there be a season, hopefully will be my 10th on the sidelines, which is crazy. Um, so I do that. I also do the uh, Fox 9 TV show Enough Said with Dan Barrero on Friday nights at 930. And do the Gopher Coaches shows on Fox 9 as well with P.J. Fleck, Richard Pitino, and Lindsey Whalen. So I think those are all my jobs at the moment, um, but I'm always looking to add more. Now, if someone was to, you know, if they're thinking about getting into the media as a producer of a radio show or a podcast, I think it's important that we, you know, maybe if you could explain what exactly a producer does um, in your type of line of field. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So if you're familiar at all with the radio studio, I'm the one that sits with all the buttons. They call it the, uh, the audio board. And it's a lot more, it looks a lot more complicated than it actually is. And so I sit there, Dan's in another studio, the host is in, is in a different room. So I'm the guy, if you ever hear somebody say on the other side of the glass, I'm on the other side of the glass. And my job is to run the, run the board, make sure all the mics are where they're supposed to be, make sure the commercials run, play the bumper music play all the sound bites and things like that. So that's what I'm doing during the show. Before the show, it's mostly just preparing Dan and trying to put on a good show for everybody. So it's booking guests, finding interesting stories, um, grabbing sound bites, putting video on our show page at KFAN.com, looking for things on social media that we can use on our social media platforms and channels, and then um, also incorporating those into the show. So kind of everything before the show uh, is Dan and I working together. And then during the show, I'm on that other side of the glass, making sure everything is running smoothly, calling the guests, getting the guests on the air. Uh, if there's any technical problems, that's my responsibility to figure it out. So it's a lot of work behind the scenes for, in our case, a three and a half hour show. Justin, I, my question that I have for you is, what kind of sparked your interest in getting involved in radio talk shows and podcasts? And um, what was the kind of the path that led you on this route to get to where you are today? Yeah, I love sports, first of all. I think if you're going to get into sports, whether it's radio or journalism, you probably have to, at some point you were a fan. So like everybody else, I grew up a fan. I grew up in Minnesota. So I was a fan of the Gophers, I was, you know, the Twins, the Wolves came when I was seven years old, the Vikings, obviously. So I was big. I just loved sports. I played all the sports growing up. And early on, I just started listening to the station I'm on now. KFM went on the air about 1990, I want to say. And so when I was driving around with my mom and my dad, that's what they would listen to. And that's what I would listen to. So that's what I got into. And I just thought it would always be cool to work in sports. I honestly don't know what else I'd be doing if I wasn't working in sports because I, I just always liked them. And I've always been interested in 
the games and the coaches and the athletes and kind of the stories behind them. So really, I I consider myself pretty lucky in that I didn't have to figure out what I wanted to do. I was pretty much locked into working in sports when I was nine or 10 years old. And everybody, you know, if you we go to a game or something, I always wanted to, I always looked into the press conference room if I could to see what was going on. I always looked at the press box to see who was in there. I just always thought it was the coolest thing that you could be that close and be involved in a different way. You're obviously not part of the team. Your life doesn't really depend on it or your livelihood doesn't depend on a win or a loss, but I just always loved kind of that connectivity. So I was always interested in you know, watching the sports reporters on Sunday morning on ESPN or listening to the Chad and Barrero show who I now work with Dan uh, Barrero now when I was growing up. So really, I, I don't know if I ever had a thought about doing anything else in my life than what I've been doing. So almost every decision I made from that point on was to figure out how to get to where I am now. Yeah, definitely. And I, I saw like a kind of like a line, a couple lines about how you kind of got your dream job, right? You're talking about you got into um, where you are today. And I just want to read this line. And it said, dream, your dream job came true with a successful internship with the fan, FAN turned into a producer position with the top rated Paul Allen show. So if you could talk about, you know, that experience as an intern and then talk about how you leverage that, you know, when you were already an intern to a full-time position there. Yeah, sure. They, you know, so I would, when I moved back, I went to the University of Iowa for a couple of years and I transferred back up here uh, to try to go to school. And I, I really needed something to kind of get my mind right and focus on something. School was not, uh, college didn't necessarily work out for me very well. <laughs> I wouldn't call me the, uh, the greatest student in the world. I had some other interests. Um, and so, but I needed something and I needed some focus. So when I moved back, I more or less figured out how to get in uh, my foot in the door at the fan. And I was lucky that I had a friend from high school whose uh, mom used to be a salesperson for one of the other brands that were in our cluster. She kind of connected me with the right people that I needed to talk to to get into the building. So I wanted a summer internship, I think in 2003. Those were pretty competitive. They didn't have any of those really available by the time I started looking. So, But I was lucky in that I was flexible enough with my school schedule and everything once I moved back that I could do a fall internship, which actually ended up being the best thing because when, you, when I was an intern in 2003, Back then, and we can talk about how things have changed, interns were relied on to do a lot of stuff. I got to go cover a lot of Vikings practices and Vikings press conferences and go to the games. I was at the Metrodome almost every Saturday covering the games, going into the locker room, getting post-game sound, doing all of that. And I, I more or less because I could tell that my um, if I ended up getting a degree, which I, I haven't yet, I'm still actually working on it, I could tell that I was going to be limited, truthfully, in what my opportunities were going to be if I didn't make the internship at the fan work. So. From the second that I got to the fan, my goal was really just hang around as long as I possibly could. I, I thought it would be for a semester. Uh, they ended up keeping me for a couple of more months after that, and I ended up actually getting hired as a part-time board operator to um, run the board for different games that we had on the nights and the weekends, I think in April of 2004. But my whole objective was I can't believe they're even letting me come work at the fan for free, by the way. I don't even think I got college credit. So I was going to make the most of the opportunity. So I really didn't ever say no to anything. If somebody needed something done, I was typically there to do it. And really, I the cliche that I use that coaches use a lot is the best ability you can have is availability. <laughs> and so I just made myself available and rarely said no and was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time when a couple of things came open. And they really had no choice but to think of me for those jobs because I was always there. So that was <laughs> how it started. And, and you know, just after Labor Day in 2003, and got hired in April in 2004. 
we just talked about um un- unpaid internships in our first yeah. hot take video, uh, hot take episode between Olivia and I, and we did talk about how sometimes the value of an unpaid internship comes um in a different form than actually money. Which in your case, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a prime example for our listeners out there who are maybe a student right now who's debating whether or not to get that unpaid internship. Is that hey? This provides you an opportunity to be there, to make yourself yeah. available um, to doing different types of things. And I want to dive into the process of, of learning of how you learned how to be the maestro behind the glass door, right? Like I, I'm learning through this, doing this podcast. I, we have no experience editing audio or doing a podcast, so we're learning on the goal. You know, what was that learning process for you to learn the ins and outs, the technical um, skills that you needed to do the job that you're currently doing today? Well, the nice thing is, and I, I would t- I tell students this all the time, like obviously broadcast schools are great and broadcast programs are terrific, but you have to get your hands on the equipment that you're going to be using somehow. And, and I've always said, and I know it's different for, for everybody else. Some people, you know, I was lucky that, you know, I was able to have summer jobs and I was able to have parents help me out when I was in college so that I could take an unpaid internship. I know for a lot of people, it's not realistic. So um, I know there's you know, kind of been in the last decade or so, the big you know, thing about paying interns and providing credits and all those things. And I, I totally get why we need to do that because not everybody was going to be in my position where I could not necessarily worry about making money. But to answer your question, Colby, it was mostly, you know, they, they trained me in on the equipment when I, you know, basically my first day I learned how to edit sound. I learned how to you know, put sound in our system that we use to go out on the air. I learned all of that pretty quickly. I mean, if you can run a computer, you can basically do anything that you need to do. If you can click the mouse a couple of times, as you've probably found out, um, you can pretty much do it. So it's mostly just getting those reps and practicing. And it took me forever to cut one 15 second soundbite, probably for the first couple of weeks that I did it. But now it's, you know, I'm almost 17 years into the deal. It's pretty much second nature now. And so I was, I always said, whether it's TV, whether it's broadcast, whether it's journalism, whatever it is, radio, if you can find a way to get in a place, you can learn everything that you need to learn about their equipment. You know, the schooling is important for different, you know, probably interview techniques and trainings and just the responsibility of all of it. But for me, getting into a building and learning how the professionals did it was invaluable. And so I was able to just learn by shadowing the producers at the time. They were all awesome to me and helping basically develop me and make sure that I was learning because they understood that if I had figured out how to do it, they wouldn't have to. <laughs> so it was in, in their best, it was in their best interest to get me up to speed as quickly as possible. So I was able to, you know, and they would just give you a little bit more every time you did something well. And by the end of it, you know, I was able, you know, you shadow people a couple of times before you get behind the, the live board for the first time. And, and before you go on the mic for the first time, you do practice sports updates and practice interviews and all of that stuff. And, then you're absolutely terrified when you do it for the first time on the radio. Uh, even though now I tell our kids now, I'm like, no lives are at stake here. You know, no one's ever been killed because they pushed the wrong button on a, a radio broadcast. Hopefully that eases the tension a little bit, but um, yeah. So it's mostly just training, you know, on, on the job training, which is why I've always said, even if you can't do a full internship, even if you can get, you know, if you're a high school student and you can get a May term project or something where you're in for a couple of days a week or, you do, you can get a job shadow where you can come in for a couple of days a week. I think that's invaluable. And I'm always more than happy if people are interested to bring them in and just show them how things work, because I know how important it was for me. And even if you can't do a full on unpaid internship and we don't even have internships anymore, kind of because of that whole thing, um, 
if you can get in and just get your hands on the equipment, you're going to be uh, pretty well off by the end of it. I, um, I agree with you because I think from, from the field of work that I'm in, like, I think what we do is very, very similar. And what I've learned is that experience in a way kind of outweighs the degree you get because like, you know, I'm, I'm a communications major. So like, you know, they're not going to teach me stat crew in a communications class. Right. So I'm not going to learn that there. And I think like, it's important to gain experience because like technology is always changing and there's always new stuff going on. So since you've been doing this for a while now, have you noticed a change in the technology that you've been using and how has it been difficult to adapt to that at all? Um, a little bit. I would say the, the main changes we've had in technologies are just like in, you know, I'd say remote settings. Like if we go out and we broadcast from, let's say we're doing a, a broadcast outside of TCF Bank Stadium at the U or someplace on campus, the equipment that we use there has gotten a lot better. It's all run on the internet now, like everything else. So it used to be, you know, there used to be all kinds of crazy equipment that you'd have to bring with you and You'd have to find, you know, they, they called them ISDN lines and they were super expensive. And now everybody's kind of moving away and it's all internet. And you can actually do a broadcast on a 4G card if you want to, which is amazing. So theoretically, if you have a cell, ser if you have a cell signal, you can do a broadcast from anywhere else, uh, anywhere you want to. Surprisingly, like the day-to-day -day equipment we use hasn't changed a whole lot. Like the same software that we use to run the show is the same one that we used when I got here in 2003. So that's been nice. We haven't had to have any learning curve there. And it's really, I think there might've been some updates along the way and I'm sure they've made it more efficient, but the editing software we use, we've changed that a couple of times, but it's all mostly the same. Like I said, if you learn how to use a mouse and a computer, you can figure out how to edit. And a lot of us, it is funny though, you get set in your ways and you get mad when they update a system on you and you have to learn how to edit the new way. Um, but I, it, but what's fun is when I bring kids in now, you know, college kids sometimes, they already know how to do all that stuff because they either have their own podcast or they've learned it along the way. And so um, they've taught me a trick or two along the way, which is cool because I just kind of know what I'm supposed to know. They know all the different things, but technology has mostly changed with how you're able to deliver the shows. Um, I can't imagine if you would have asked me in 2003 that we could just plug a 4G card. I doubt we even had 4G. I don't even know <laughs> if anybody knew what that was and soon it'll be 5G, I'm sure in the next six months. So, that's been the one big change is we're just able to, we're a lot more nimble. We can do, do a lot more things than we used to. And we don't worry about signals dropping anymore. Like when I first did remotes, it would be, you would drop and the show would be off the air like once an hour, it seemed like, and it was just the ultimate nightmare. Now everything's pretty stable and pretty standard. So we don't have that same worry as much. Now sticking with the landscape, you know, of maybe with radio and podcasts changing, I mean, you entered the industry, right? You said 2003, um, 17 years later. And I, I see, it seems like podcasts and radio um, has been a big part of media in general. What do you think of the current landscape and what do you think is the future for podcasts and radio? Radio. It's the question everybody's trying to figure out because <laughs> I was just at a radio, kind of a radio summit about a month ago in New York just before COVID-19 came to the United States. So that was excellent timing by me. I feel very <laughs> fortunate there. Um, but that's the big question everybody's asking is how is podcasting going to, going to change how radio stations are delivered? And one of the things that I feel lucky is that at our radio station, iHeartMedia here in the Twin Cities, we, I think we have the best bosses in the Twin Cities. Um, I know that you know, people get weary of big companies and they obviously we've been in the headlines over the years for layoffs and bankruptcy and all those things, but that really hasn't affected the local product. I don't think very much. Um, 
and part of that is because I think we have the greatest bosses and there I'm not just saying that either like our program director is phenomenal our operations director is great we've got a couple of different market presidents and what I mean by I think they've been good is they've been ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff like I remember and I tell the story all the time we were putting our shows online in podcast form in 2005 2005 or 2006 so by the time it seemed like everybody had a podcast within the last five years we've been training our audience has been trained to go online at kfan.com and now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast we've been doing that for almost 15 years basically now so they they've seen kind of the future in a couple of different ways and we used to say all the time in in 2005 2006 on air online on demand that's where this thing is going and so we feel lucky in that our shows have always been podcasts, at least for the majority of my time here. So now there's different things that we add. We've added, you know, everybody here kind of has a different podcast on the outside of their regular show. We do different podcasts with our, within our own shows, kind of best of podcasts. But because I think what's pretty clear is changing is that as much as we'd love for everybody to sit and listen to three and a half hours of our show every single day, not realistic. You know, the numbers would indicate that maybe 15, 20% of our listeners are doing that. The other 80% are driving home. They've got maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour. Maybe they don't even want to listen to anything. If they're like me, they want to, before they go home to their kids, they want to just sit in silence on their way home (laughs) before they go home to the chaos. And so we've changed things that way and how we've posted podcasts, how we've made the content to use that buzzword available. Um, Because, you know, I, and so I, I, I don't worry as much about, you know, people think everything's going podcast now, radio is going to be non-existent. I, I, I disagree with that. I think good local content, especially in the sports medium, is still going to be relevant for a while. And as long as we're where people want to be in terms of on social media, in podcast form, you know, on YouTube, all of those places, people are going to be, if, if we're where people are, people are going to, uh, I think, still want the content that we're, that we're churning out. But the podcast and radio thing is, definitely something that we're all watching and we're all trying to figure out how we can best use it to our advantage. I definitely think that the podcast world has grown in the past couple of years for sure. Like if you go on Spotify, there's probably like a podcast for everything. Like this year, I didn't even know that there was a go for sports podcast until I was an intern. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I did kind of want to jump into like what you do with the gophers and everything. So I guess like, we, I don't think we've ever had a sideline reporter on, so maybe kind of give us like a summary of what you do and um, some of the things you get to talk about when you are a sideline reporter. Yeah, I think the best advice I got right away when I, when I got the job in 2011 was the reason you're down there is because really nobody else is. And my, my job is to bring people where they can't see. You know, even if you're at the game, if you're in the upper deck or if you're in the student section or wherever, bring them down to the sideline. That's literally why you're there. I'm obviously there for injuries and things like that to kind of check up on who's maybe injured, who's going into the tent. Um, But more so, I think I'm there to talk about what, you know, kind of what the take the temperature of the sideline, talk about little things that you see when, you know, let's say Tanner Morgan, you know, throws an interception. What does Tyler Johnson do when they come back over to the bench? Do they, you know, how do they support each other? Was, Was Tanner Morgan, to use him as an example again, what did he do after the touchdown drive? Well, he went all the way up and down the bench, gave every single person a high five and then said, we've got more, you know, just little things like that, I think are why I'm down there. If I'm just down there to talk about injuries and maybe give some human interest stories, I could probably do that from, you know, almost anywhere in the stadium if I had binoculars. So um, the take them where they can't go is kind of my mantra as a sideline reporter. I obviously do an interview with PJ 
uh, going into the halftime, getting him off the field. Those are, you know, those are sometimes interesting, not just with PJ, but with any coach. Everybody's seen the mad coach going into the, the locker room at halftime. You know, there's been times over the years where, you know, especially in year ones of coaching eras when maybe the team's not very good, they're down 21-0 before anybody's even gotten into their seats. I know that's not going to be a very fun halftime interview. Um, so that's what I'm down there for is to kind of get the, the color, so to speak, from the field, bring it up to the booth and bring it out to everybody that's listening. So the, another question I have just relating to the Gopher stuff is what has been your favorite moment as a sideline reporter just being down there since you've been since you've started doing that, like specifically yeah, with Gopher football? Yeah, there's been a lot, you know, and, and that's whether it was, you know, beating Nebraska in the Jerry Kill era for the first time. Anytime the fans rush on the field, that's that's great. You know, and we've mm -hmm. had that with Nebraska. We've had that with Iowa. I was and, at that know, Nebraska game, actually. The one over, was, Yeah. Yeah. And it was great. And because that was – and there was so much that went into that. And that's, you know, because Jerry was – Coach Kill had taken the leave of absence, so to speak, mm -hmm. and he was up in the press box, and no one really knew where the thing was going to go. And they hadn't beaten Nebraska in, like, 50 years. And so – there's a, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes when there's a big backstory behind it, you know, that makes for the, the best emotion. And, you know, to bring it to this last year, obviously this, this last year was pretty much spectacular every step of the way. And I, I've been, you know, the Outback Bowl was great. Just a really fun day, 70 degrees, New Year's Day, Florida, all of that, beating a really good team. It, you know, recently, you know, I still can't believe how many people were on the field against Penn State after that game. I mean, that whole day was spectacular because mm – -hmm. Biggest game in the stadium's history, biggest game in Gopher football in about 15 years, and everybody stepped up. And I don't just mean the team, which obviously played terrific and won, but it was an 11 o'clock kick, and the place was sold out. It was packed. They all wore maroon, which if you follow Gopher football or Gopher sports, it's hard to get Gopher fans, for whatever the reason, to all wear one color. They yep. got a lot of resistance <laughs> about that. And, and, then, and but, then the gold flags, too, and everyone was yeah, flying They around. were into it. Yeah, they were ready to go. And so that was actually – my favorite moment from this past year for all the great moments that the team provided was the people, the people getting invested to the level that they did was I think really special. And the Penn state game was a microcosm of that. The Outback bowl. I didn't know how people were going to feel about the Outback bowl because they were so close to the Rose bowl. Wisconsin went there again. Um, and new year's Eve, the night before the game, there were Gopher fans all over Tampa and you just couldn't believe like, I went down there thinking this is a nice little reward for the season and it's fun. And yeah, we'd all like to be at the Rose Bowl, but the Outback Bowl is a nice consolation prize. The Gopher fans went down there thinking we're going to beat Auburn mm -hmm. and we're going to be a part of it. And so I give the fans all the credit and obviously the team and the coaches and everything for, for bringing them along on this thing, because I think for the first time in my 10 years, the fans were 100% invested in believing that they were a part of it and they could make an impact on how things were going. And that hasn't always been the case um, in my life as a Gopher, you know, fan and, and follower and now as a reporter. So there's been, you know, a lot of great memories and a lot of great moments. But this year provided some of the ones that you'll just you'll just never forget. I even looked at the crowd the other day, you know, that I just still can't believe how many people fit on that field. And I was in the middle of it. I couldn't find anybody to interview. I was actually annoyed for about three hours because I got nobody I got nobody on the field from the team reacting, which still makes me mad to this day because that's literally the reason I'm down there. At um, that, the Penn State game, actually, so my parents' season tickets, I think they're in 137, mm -hmm. um, which is, like, right by the student section. So, And there used to be stairs that went down because Goldie would hang out there, but they moved the stairs. My <laughs> mom 
ran down the stairs and like Superman jumped over the rails <laughs> and basically broke one of her feet, like broke yeah. her foot. And she could not walk, but you know, like she was such a trooper. She ran out. She got Eric Decker literally helped her up off the ground. It was, it was so cool for her. But no, I I agree. Like I've heard of a couple of injuries from that. (laughs) A a really good friend of ours broke her hip. I mean, she literally broke her hip. Had to have surgery. I saw her about a month later. I said, "Where you been?" She said, "I broke my hip in the Penn State game." So it's like, but no one cared. No one, cared. No. No, one, no one was like, ah, it was kind of an inconvenience to have hip surgery, but what a great day that was. <laughs> I just think, like, it's so cool to be part of a fan base that, like, everyone is so invested, and I think PJ Fleck has done, like, a wonderful job of, like, r- like literally, like, when he says row the boat, like, everyone rows the boat. It's so cool to see, and yeah, it, it was a great season. I had so much fun as a fan, and, like, obviously, like, working in the communications office as well. So what I, what I've said about PJ is, you know, cause and he said it before that if you say row the boat, you know, and you're an adult, um, initially people are going to think it's weird and you're setting yourself up for a lot of criticism. And, and he said, I get that. That's what I, I understand, but you just kind of trust the process and some good things are coming. And what I said, you know, a year or two ago, I said the stuff that everybody gets annoyed by, you know, the row the boat and the sprinting up and down the field during games and all the different phrases, that's the stuff when they win that everybody's going to think is the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And you just got to win, you know, and obviously they did at a really high level this last year. And even watching the Outback Bowl, you know, a couple of weeks ago um, when they did the replay, you know, hearing everybody in Tampa chanting row, um, that kind of was, that was my point the whole time is like all this stuff that people think is weird. They're going to be so into it if it gets to the level that PJ wants to get it to. So people buying into it and, and, and enjoying it because it's all supposed to be fun was one of the, the great parts about the season. For all the listeners out there, um, <laughs> it's kind of established already that Olivia is a huge Gopher fan, um, if you don't know by now. And, and for all the non-Gopher fans out there, um, just hang tight with us. I'm sorry for all the Gopher talk. But, hey, we got Justin on. It's part of his life. It's part of Olivia's life. And if you don't get joy from just hearing these stories, I mean – you're not a sports fan in general, but I do want to talk about, you mentioned, you know, with PJ Flack in the sports world, um, there's that pressure to win as a coach, right? As a coach, the wins and losses is what measures your success as a coach. Now, in the terms of your job, uh, I would like to think, you know, it's, it's viewers or listeners um, are kind of what you guys are looking for. How do you deal with that pressure to keep up, you know, to be successful, I guess, and to say? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that's, that's actually the toughest part. Like when you, and I know at, like real athletes, like I was a high school and a college athlete, I wouldn't consider myself a real athlete, but they talk about that when they retire, the hardest part is finding that competitive angle, you know, and satisfying your competitiveness. And I'm super competitive and I'm lucky that pretty much everybody in our station is also super competitive. I mean, we will crawl over anything to get another listener or another click or another download or another anything. I mean, we, we do care about the scorecard. Um, so it's not as much a pressure as that's kind of how we're wired. That's how we're built. And I like having the expectations. The fan is built, you know, the, I jumped onto the fan, what, about year 15 or so. And so we're at about, you know, 30, you know, let's just say it's been on the air for about 30 years. And in the last 10 or 15 years, it's elevated itself to, 
a really strong place in the Twin Cities. And we have an expectation with our demographics to be number one across basically every day part. And so that's what motivates us. That's what fuels us. And we want big numbers. We want people listening. We want when it's something big that happens in the Twin Cities, we want everybody to be thinking, I got to hear what the guys on the fan are saying about it. I got to hear who's who they're having on the show. So it's not so much a pressure as that's what we like. We are, we are fueled by that. And we look at the ratings every single week. They come out on Tuesday. I look at podcast numbers all the time. I'm always curious how our show pages are doing. Um, we're trying to grow that um, because truthfully, I mean, that's, that is our livelihood. I mean, we need to deliver for our advertisers and our partners, the listeners and the reach that we say we will do. So um, we've been pretty lucky that our, we have a really loyal fan base. I think there's a lot of people like me that grew up with the station now because it's kind of matured in this 30 year time frame. So like I said, I listened when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. There's a lot of people that are my age and younger that grew up the same way. So we're at a good spot where people have grown up kind of listening to us and now it's our job to keep them. And as the audience continues to get younger and younger and isn't necessarily looking for an FM radio station, like I said earlier, we've got to be there on podcasts. We've got to be there on YouTube. And there's probably things that you guys know that I've never even heard of and places that we need to be as well that you're going to have to tell me about. But it's not so much a pressure as just that's what we expect of ourselves is to be the best and to be the highest rated and to be the biggest. And that's what we try to do. And everybody that I work with, I think, shares that um, mentality and that competitiveness. So it's been uh, it's been fun to watch the station grow. You mentioned that you you said, you know, you guys do things to gain an edge. So I want to bring up a, you know, something I found on the Internet, Justin, and I was born and raised in Hawaii. So that's it stood out to me. You guys did like a partnership or sponsored a trip by the fine destinations, the best of Maui tour um, from March 1st to the 8th in 2018. I got to ask mm-hmm. you, what, what, what did you think of Hawaii and how in the heck did, um, you know, this trip come to life and why did you guys do this type of thing? Well, uh, I'll answer the, the, the first part first, Colby, um, and I'll answer it this way. When you say, what did you think of Hawaii? I was on Delta.com this morning looking for flights to Maui in December when I think we're going to be out of the mix of COVID-19. And given we're not going to, we can't even leave our house, it seems like, for the next six months, we'll be going back. I've, I've been back, we went back with the family once since that trip um, for in a crazy story because there was a crazy airfare uh, sale on Southwest and I basically felt like I was stealing another trip there. So um, yeah, we've worked with travel agents over the years. Like our morning show goes to Las Vegas every year. They were actually supposed to be in Las Vegas last week with listeners. And we've done a handful over the years, but this travel agent you know, puts together trips for people. And um, we basically show up and, and fly with the people that want to come with us and do some excursions with the people that want to come with us. And so that was uh, amazing. It got put together a couple of years ago. And I'd, I'd been to Hawaii in high school for a tennis related thing, but I'd never been to Maui. And um, I wish I could go. I wish I was there right now, truthfully. Um, I don't know why you moved out of there. That seems like a poor decision. <laughs> seems like a very foolish decision. But Justin, was cool. he, he moved from Hawaii to Crookston, Minnesota. Have you ever <laughs> been to Crookston? I've driven through it. I don't think I've ever stayed there. Yep. Um, that seems like it's a podcast in itself, how that all went down. Um, but yeah, we loved it. It was great. And the cool thing about that is, you know, I mentioned kind of the station part of it and how loyal our listeners are we had to have a certain number of people booked, you know, by a certain date. And we were worried, frankly, that, you know, people were going to jump on because as everybody knows, it's kind of expensive to go to Hawaii. You don't really know, you know, what you're getting when you, when you roll into a a travel agent destination type deal. And 
we got enough people within like a week and a half to where we almost couldn't even think about like not going. And the next thing we know we were there and it was tremendous. And I can't wait to go back there. Um, I'm saving up my sky miles as much as I possibly can so I can get back there. It was um, a lot of fun and it was cool because the people, a lot of the people that came with us were listeners and fans of the show. So it was fun to hang out with them and, and spend some time with them and thank them for everything that they do for us because if nobody's listening, we can't do any of this fun stuff. So that was really cool. It was a lot of fun. I think to end the podcast, if, you know, we have a lot of young listeners and this podcast is all about helping people gain um, kind of an upper edge on whatever they choose to do in the sports industry. So what would your advice be to a college student or anyone who's trying to get into the radio uh, media or podcast industry? Kind of what I said earlier, I mean, availability is the best ability, you know, be around when, you know, people, especially now in like every, every company is dealing with this on, on some level in media, they're trying to do as much content and as much stuff as they ever have with much fewer people. And, and so they're always looking for help. They're always looking for an extra set of eyes and they're always looking truthfully. And I can speak, you know, just as someone who's had to hire interns before I'm looking for someone that's eager and ready to go. And appreciates the opportunity and and is hungry to learn. And so be hungry to learn, be hungry to say yes, Um, take advantage of opportunities, you know, network, network, network as much as you possibly can. Even I mentioned that radio summit a month ago, I had lunch with a friend of mine that lives in New York. And we were talking about a couple of different people that, you know, kids, college kids, they probably check in with us once a month just to see, hey, have you heard of any job opportunities? I'm thinking about this, what advice would you have? You know, in my experience, 90% of people are more than happy to help out. And are you going to get to 10% that can't be bothered and that are going to act annoyed when you call and maybe never respond? Sure. Some of that might not even be because they're bad people. They might just be forgetful. They might just be busy. I know I haven't responded to every email in my entire life of somebody looking for help, but get as much information as you can, as early as you can get it, especially in college. You know, we always look for, I think for me, it, it says a lot about a student who goes to college, writes for the school paper, works for the school radio station, does the student TV deal, like you're going to get good experience there that then can be translated into that internship or into that entry level position at, at a TV station or whatever. So those are my, you know, kind of blanket uh, guidelines or advice is just be available, be a great listener, ask good questions, do informational interviews with as many people as you can just so you can figure out, is this something I would like to do? What I, you know, there's some things about the job you might not like, you know, that you have to work a lot of nights, you have to work a lot of weekends. Family time is precious, especially during football season for me. So there's just, I gather as much information as you can and reach out to as many people as you can to try to gain as much experience as you can. And I think you're going to be in good shape. Well, thank you, Justin, for coming on. We, we very appreciate it. And to our listeners in our sports is job community, Um, After you listen to this episode, if you have any feedback, any questions, or anything you want to say, uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sports as a Job. And like as we always say, our message from Olivia, Justin, and I, we are all on our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.